The case that Dan Calkins brought against Illinois' gun ban, it's set to be heard mid-May at the Illinois Supreme Court. That's after the Illinois Supreme Court processed the state's appeal to the Macon County final decision declaring that the state's gun ban was a violation of equal protections and special legislation and therefore was unconstitutional. Now, of course, this is something that continues to play out on the state level. You've also got all the federal cases that have been consolidated into the Southern District of Illinois, uh, plus an appeal out of Naperville. Those are just about the state's gun ban. That's not about maybe lower level like municipality or county bans like in Cook County. It doesn't deal with the suppressors, which I know that there's litigation about, and uh, the FOID card, the firearm owner identification card. There's litigation about that. So we could probably spend an entire three hours just on all of the litigation, and maybe there's an appetite for that out there. Uh, but uh, really what we've been focusing on here is the very broad uh, assault weapons ban uh, that uh, the, the, uh, the legislature defined around 170 or more different types of semi-automatic weapons, attachments, expanded magazines, uh, labeling them assault weapons, passing that within a matter of just a couple of days with final language, the governor signing it and acting it immediately on January 10th. And now here we are uh, looking at, uh, you know, uh, what, 60 some odd days coming up that we've had the ban in place. And uh, that means you cannot go out and buy uh, a, a certain type of semi-automatic weapon. You cannot go out and buy a certain capacity of magazines and gun stores uh, aren't allowed to sell those to you. However, uh, they can sell to law enforcement, retired law enforcement, those in the security sector, prison wardens, those in jails and uh, that, that watch over jails. Uh, so you've got this law that's been in place now for two months and you've got individuals who claim they're being harmed by it. And that's why you've got all the cases in the Southern District. That's why you've got all the cases in the state level courts. But today, let's focus on the state level courts where we do have the uh, you, the Illinois Supreme Court yesterday, about six o'clock. Uh, they did post the, uh, the, the processing of the motion to place on an accelerated docket the state's appeal to the uh, Macon County Court saying that the state law violates the uh, equal protections of individuals' rights. Uh, so the, the docket, uh, it goes through, it talks about the background of the case, how it got to where it is, uh, and uh, all the processes that gets to where we get to a discussion. It says, given the seriousness of the issue raised in this case and the urgency associated with resolving the questions presented by a defendant, appellants request that the courts uh, enter an order expediting the disposition of this appeal. Counsel for plaintiffs, appellees, also have authorized the undersigned counsel to state that plaintiff appellees do not oppose to this motion. So the conclusion is, you look at the dates, opening brief due by March 20th. Then the plaintiff's appellees, uh, they, the response is due by the 13th of April, uh, with the defendants uh, looking to have an April 27th response. Oral arguments sometime the second week of May 2023. 
So you're looking at May of 2023 before the Illinois Supreme Court even touches this when it comes to oral arguments. And we'll talk about some of the concerns that have been raised of the uh, uh, issues of the, the Illinois Supreme Court coming up next uh, and uh, have some of the, uh, the discussion about the difference between the uh, state-level cases brought by Attorney Thomas DeVore and that brought by the, uh, the, the plaintiffs in the Macon County case, uh, State Representative Dan Calkins and Jerry Stocks. So uh, we'll uh, get to that coming up here in a moment. Stay with us. It is Springfield's Morning News. Anytime you need to get a hold of me, a lot of you have been reaching out via email, some even uh, finding my cell phone, which is fine. I do post that on the internet. So uh, you can message me, send me texts, people um, hinting uh, towards different stories stories that I should look at. Uh, so I appreciate all of the input and uh, everybody that's been tuning in. But of course, you can find me and follow along Bishop on Air anywhere. Just search Bishop on Air, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and we can connect that way. All right, got to take a break. It is Springfield's Morning News on WMAY. So mid-May is when the Illinois Supreme Court is set to actually have oral arguments in the case that State Representative Dan Calkins brought. So we'll see some of the filings uh, starting to flow in March 15th, March 20th, April 13th, April 27th. And then you've got May, uh, the second week or so, being when the Illinois Supreme Court will hear those arguments. Uh, but some are saying that uh, the, the Illinois Supreme Court's getting this case too prematurely and that Calkins is playing into Governor J.B. Pritzker's hands. While others are saying that the Illinois Supreme Court has uh, a couple of justices who have apparent conflicts of interest. So let's tackle that now here on WMAY. Uh, but first, the question about whether or not the uh, decision in Macon County is statewide or if it's just for Macon County. Uh, and that's a, a, a bit of difference. The, the final decision that was made on Friday doesn't explicitly say whether or not there's uh, an injunction. It just says that the, the law is unconstitutional uh, because of uh, a violation of equal protections. And that's just at the circuit level. Uh, so you, you, we had uh, this from uh, Jerry Stocks on Friday when I chatted with him about what the ultimate outcome is of this particular order. Uh, a judgment uh, that a law is unconstitutional, uh, we submit, would be void as if it never existed and would be unenforceable in all applications in all uh, respects, and that would mean statewide. The state is not going to concede that point, but the order will have its legal impact. So the state's not conceding that point, and you have the, uh, the statements that have been put out uh, all over saying that uh, this does not apply statewide. But Stock says uh, any law enforcement that's going to enforce a law that's been adjudicated in a court as unconstitutional then you've got uh, some some questions about uh, liability, especially if uh, you're violating somebody's uh, you know, uh, protected rights. Uh, so you've got that at play. Uh, but of course, the Illinois Supreme Court getting this case is a bit premature. You had um, the uh, Illinois um, cases brought by Attorney Thomas DeVore 
he's been pretty critical of stocks and Calkins in how quick this is coming along. And on Sunday nights, uh, he took to a, a YouTube and Facebook Live where DeVore uh, really was, um, in a way, uh, chastising Calkins and uh, showing his frustration, saying that uh, the case is playing into the governor's hands. Here's uh, some of uh, Attorney Thomas DeVore sounding off on his, uh, his channels. All the while, I guarantee you, and again, not being disrespectful to my esteemed colleagues, they're laughing all the way at how easy it is to make Dan feel like he's a big shot. And they get and they take the case from Macon County. Now they're going to go to the Supreme Court without a record, without having them answered any questions, without them doing the work that really needs to be done to just drive it home, man, and to make this thing as ironclad as we can make it. No, not going to do that. We're going to run to the Supreme Court. What does that do? That is it possible to still win the gun issue right now? Yeah, it's possible. But the issue of altering how we do laws forever in this state to the benefit of your children, your grandchildren, their children, Dan's just throwing that in the garbage. Throwing it in the garbage. Which is what, again, I'm going to humbly suggest to you, Governor Pritzker and Attorney General, the Speaker, and the President of the Senate want. They don't want that issue in front of the Supreme Court. So what uh, DeVore's talking about there is how legislation is passed in some instances, and that's by using shell bills that may allegedly violate three readings rules, that may allegedly violate single subject rules. And those are things that DeVore's really uh, you know, went after in his cases he got in the Effingham County, White County, and Effingham County. Uh, where he secured temporary restraining orders. But the temporary restraining order wasn't necessarily for those issues, though DeVore can still address those issues if his cases proceed. But it was the uh, appellate courts that upheld the possibility of succeeding on its merits, the question of um, equal protections. And that's where the Macon County case is deciding to go to the Illinois Supreme Court with the Illinois Supreme Court taking that up. Uh, so DeVore saying that uh, the case is going too fast and it's not developing a record that DeVore wants to develop. Uh, but Stocks, he, he simply says that, uh, listen, uh, the cases are fundamentally different in as far as their trajectory and how they feel they need to proceed. Uh, and he says that the Illinois Supreme Court, they could uh, do a, a number of things. As uh, DeVore suggests, Stocks and Calkins could win in the Illinois Supreme Court. That's very possible. But Stocks also, he says that it's possible the Illinois Supreme Court could shoot him down. And, uh, if the Supreme Court of Illinois wants to dodge confronting the issues head on, they're going to find a thousand different reasons to do so. Uh, and they can do that in any case. Uh, but I think every uh, level of the judiciary that is confronting this well recognizes the significance of the case, the issues presented, and the tough decisions that they need to make. And so I have faith in the judiciary that uh, people will be of good conscience and uh, uh, will evaluate these matters properly. Well, will they? Uh, that's something that some are raising questions about as to if indeed you've got uh, any impropriety on the Illinois Supreme Court. And we will review some of what is being asked about Mom at Arms uh, with a blog post here from a couple of days ago. Conflict of interest with Illinois Supreme Court and gun ban ruling. 
appeal. What's behind this? We'll uh, try to delve a bit into it and uh, maybe open it up for some of your thoughts at 217-629-7970. It's 217-629-7970. That's the phone number here with Springfield's Morning News. I'm Greg Bishop on 92.7 WMAY. Springfield's News and Talk. So stay tuned. Much more coming up. Conflict of interest at the Illinois Supreme Court. That's what some are uh, pointing to, uh, even those from outside of Illinois. So uh, stay tuned. We'll touch on that next here on WMAY. It's now 630 and we got to take that break here with Springfield's morning. With the Illinois Supreme Court posting the gun ban challenge schedule, some are questioning if there are some conflicts of interest on the Illinois Supreme Court because Governor J.B. Pritzker gave a couple of candidates half a million dollars, if not more each, out of a trust fund that he has, separate from his political funds. And uh, these two candidates that are now on the Illinois Supreme Court also getting uh, support from gun control lobby groups. Well, back at it with Springfield's Morning News. I'm Greg Bishop on 92.7 WMAY, Springfield's News and Talk. Let's uh, head over to a blog post from Mom at Arms, where you can see the headline, Conflict of Interest with Illinois Supreme Court and Gun Ban Ruling. That's the Calkins case out of Macon County. Uh, So we've been focusing on this because this is the first case that goes to the Illinois Supreme Court, and people are raising questions about two particular Supreme Court justices on that bench. Bench, Elizabeth Rockford and uh, Mary O'Brien, uh, and uh, the 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 allegation here is that uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker gave these two candidates uh, half a million dollars each out of his revocable trusts. And even the Chicago Tribune reporting that uh, before the election, Pritzker used his trust, and here's the headline, to skirt contribution limits in Illinois Supreme Court races. So that leads the the speculation that there's a conflict here. And one thing that we hope that we have happen is that uh, any conflicts are dealt with by people maybe recusing themselves. Uh, I want to kind of go back to to what Jerry Stocks had to say. He's the attorney who represents Dan Calkins in this case, and uh, he said that you know the Supreme Court can find a variety of different reasons to um, you know rule against one thing or another, but he says he has confidence in the Illinois Supreme Court. And, uh, if the Supreme Court of Illinois wants to dodge confronting the issues head on, they're going to find a thousand different reasons to do so. Uh, and they can do that in any case. Uh, but I think every uh, level of the judiciary that is confronting this well recognizes the significance of the case, the issues presented, and the tough decisions that they need to make. And so I have faith in the judiciary that uh, people will be of good conscience and uh, uh, will evaluate these matters properly. But again, others uh, don't really have that faith, uh, especially with the uh, seeming, what some are pointing out, uh, conflict of interest that uh, a couple of uh, Supreme Court justices have. Uh, And again, those are uh, because of uh, donations given to these justices as they were running for office. And and, and just to clarify something, these are not statewide offices. These are districts, right? So you've got different districts for different justices, even though they all sit on the panel uh, when they hear cases, they come from different parts of the state. So they're elected by different uh, people in, in different jurisdictions. Uh, so so how do we how do we move forward with this this question of 
whether or not there's a conflict here, uh, because it's not just with those political donations, with these Supreme Court justices taking up a case that has Governor J. Robert Pritzker as the lead defendant when he was giving money to candidates that are on that bench. Uh, obviously, that's that's uh, going to lead to a perceived conflict of interest, which anybody who knows about conflict of interest, it's something that you want to avoid even the perception of conflict of interest. So that's one element, but you've got another element that uh, uh, Mom at Arms, the blog, is posting about how these two uh, Supreme Court justices now uh, won their election, and they're every town-supported gun sense candidates the group says. Uh, And you even go further, uh, I tell you, this blog really did their homework. They went and looked at all kinds of different questions about uh, promoting confidence in the judiciary and highlighting sections uh, with comments about a judge should expect to be the subject of public scrutiny, conduct that compromises or appears to compromise the independence, integrity, and impartiality of a judge, undermines public confidence in the judiciary, highlighting again why it's so important that you avoid any semblance of conflict or any perceived conflict of interest. Uh, it goes on to say that, uh, you know, the the ideas of uh, influencing uh, judicial conduct, a judge shall not permit family, social, political, financial, or other interests or relationships to influence the judge's judicial conduct. Then goes on, uh, again, this blog post highlights a lot of social media that these then candidates were making, standing with Governor Pritzker, going and campaigning with the governor, uh, obviously taking political sides here, uh, rallying with others uh, who were promoting gun control, uh, moms demand action, uh, standing alongside uh, some of the uh, legislators who who passed the legislation. Uh, It goes on from there. Uh, And uh, something that I think is important to uh, really kind of get after is this, again, the concept of what is conflict of interest. And it's not just the actual conflict. It's, again, the perceived conflict of interest. And why? Because what uh, is pointed out in the comments about uh, judicial ethics, any perceived conflict can really uh, do a number on the uh, the uh, confidence levels that the public has on the courts. Now, a lot of you have pointed out uh, Washington Gun Law. It's a YouTube channel which highlighted this after the post from Mom, uh, from uh, what's the Mom at Arms? That's the uh, the 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 blog post Mom dash dot uh, at dash arms.com. All right. So if you haven't found this, you should be able to find it. Uh, But uh, Washington gun law kind of uh, sets out some of the questions as well as to uh, what exactly is uh, uh, at the crux of the, uh, the conflicts of interest that are possible here. And I must tell you that there is some pretty unique language that I have not found in any other state. Take, for example, Judicial Rule 1.2, which specifically states a judge shall act at all times in a manner that promotes public confidence in the independence, integrity, and impartiality of the judiciary and shall avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety. However, when you take a look at the comments to the rule, you'll find comment number three, which specifically states... Conduct that compromises or appears to compromise the independence, integrity, and impartiality of a judge undermines public confidence in the judiciary. Because it is not practicable to list all such conduct, the rule is necessarily cast in general terms. 
So even though a justice is told to act in a manner that protects the integrity of the bench, it's really just in general terms and it's kind of advisory in nature. Okay, so the or is it uh, because the uh, mom at arms blog post, it does go into uh, some updates, including the update that uh, uh, Washington uh, gun law uh, posted about their blog post, but also uh, a, a, an overview of uh, recent uh, Supreme Court action from uh, just about, uh, you know, 12 years ago or so. Uh, and it's a, a case that deals with judicial conduct. And in particular, uh, it highlights uh, Caperton versus A.T. Massey Coal Company. Uh, and if you look at uh, Oyez, which is kind of a, a law review site of sorts, uh, it talks about what the case was and how it dealt with judicial conduct. And in particular, what you have is that the U.S. Supreme Court held that due process required a justice recuse himself from participating in a case in question with Justice Anthony Kennedy writing the majority goes on to talk about the other justices that signed on. The court stated that it need not find that Justice Benjamin was actually biased in his decision making in order to find invalid the decision in which he took part. Rather, it need merely show that under a realistic appraisal of psychological tendencies and human weakness, Justice Benjamin's interest posed a risk of actual bias and thus should have recused himself from participating threatened the uh, adequate implementation of due process. So it's not just about the integrity of the courts that could be impugned if somebody is not recusing themselves from uh, the the possible appeared conflicts of interest. Uh, it also can damage uh, due process rights that individuals have when dealing in the courts. So seems like this is just getting started with uh, all of the different ins and outs of this case. And this is just the state level case, right? This is just the Macon County case uh, on a state level. You've still got the three cases from Tom DeVore uh, that are going to be consolidated in the state level. And then you've got the Southern District with four cases being consolidated there. That's in the federal courts. Uh, so state court, different from federal court, different issues in each. They're all got the, they, their own trajectory. Uh, we'll be tracking it all for you here with Spring. Springfield's Morning News on 92.7 WMAY, Springfield's News and Talk. And you can follow along anywhere. Uh, just search Bishop on air, and you can always call in live and local at 217-629-7970.